have a little confession that I'm going to ask y'all to confess, actually, which is the safe way to do this, isn't it? It's easy, though. How many of you still have your Christmas decorations up? See, okay, this happened first service. It's like, you know, sometimes I ask y'all a question, y'all are like this, you know, like this to me. But when I ask Christmas decorations, like people are like, yes, I do. And I would keep them up till March if I could, right? Like there's something to be proud about that. How many of you, though, are a little shocked that we still have our Christmas decorations up here? Yeah, a little bit more. Here's why. Sometimes it's weird for us. And this is an American thing. This isn't a worldwide thing, but an American thing. It's, it's, it's weird for us to think about Christmas after Christmas, right? Once Christmas is done, there is this kind of letdown that we have to wait a whole nother year to, to get it, to, to put the tree back up and all that stuff again. But for me, I sometimes wish Christmas would linger longer, you know, like parts of it, you know, not all of it. I don't think my pants could handle much of, more of it. <laughs> But, 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 but there's a part of it that I wish would linger longer. In a very practical sense, like sitting in the living room with a fire in the fireplace and just the lights of the Christmas tree is just peaceful in our home. And it's just this great time. But even for my faith, there's a part of Christmas that I wish would linger longer. That, that for some reason this year, the, the power of the incarnation, the fact that God became a baby, and, and that God did that, that, that the book of John says that the word became flesh and, and lived with us. Like for some reason, that has been on the forefront of my mind a lot this Christmas season. That's the kind of stuff I wish would linger longer. That I wouldn't kind of put that away when we put the, the, the manger scene away. And maybe, maybe you're this way too. Maybe you would like parts of Christmas to linger longer. Well, today, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see in our final uh, sermon in this Advent series of wonder, we're going to see how to let Christmas linger longer to where it's not shocking to think about Christmas after Christmas. And we're going to do that by looking through the eyes of a group of people who let nothing stop them from Christmas lingering longer, right? They didn't let distance stop them because we're going to see them travel a very long way. They didn't let time stop them because they were very late to the party. But the biggest thing that they didn't let stop them, and this is the thing that I think will resonate most with us as a church, and as I've been, been, been preparing this message, and as I've been praying for this message, this is the part that, that um, um, kind of sat with me. It's interesting, as I do messages, you know, I plan a year in advance almost about what's going to be taught on what Sunday, and, and then outline it and all that stuff, and then write it a couple of weeks before, but then there's something about the Saturday before, as I practice and as I grow through, go through it, that, that something just kind of bubbles up from a message. And what I think has bubbled up from this message is, is for us as a church to, to, to deal with the assumptions and the expectations that we put on God that aren't God's. That's what I think we should do today is listen for that. And here's what I ask you to do. Listen for you, not for the person sitting next to you, right? Because it's real easy to think, oh, so-and-so needs to hear this message. So-and-so needs to hear this message. But you know what? God brought you here today for a reason. And so what I'm asking all of us to do is to consider our own expectations, our own assumptions that we place on God that aren't his to bear because they're not God. Because if we can do that, we can leave this place today more free and more hopeful than we came in. 
And that's, that's my hope and prayer for us. All right, we're gonna be in Matthew chapter two, which if you need a Bible, there's some in front of you, and it's on page 668 in that Bible, or if you have a smartphone, you can download the Bible app, click on events, click on Fellowship Asheville. Everything is there. There's also not only the scriptures and questions that are there um, and a place to take notes, there's also links to all those announcements that we just did. So you can go ahead and register while you're sitting, while you're sitting right here if you want. And as you're turning there, we're gonna look through the eyes of the Magi, right? We're gonna look through the eyes of the wise men as they see this, this incarnation. And, and, and as you're turning there, I just wanna tell you, there's really a lot that we don't know about these Magi, right? Even the word Magi, we're not even sure what it means. We do know that they most likely weren't kings like some of our songs at Christmas time indicate. Um, but what we do know, at least we're pretty sure we know, is that the wise men, the, the, the magi that came to see Jesus um, were from Babylon. New Testament says they were from the east, but I believe that they have their root in the Old Testament. I believe in the book of Daniel, we can see where these wise men started, where these magi started. Now, you, you remember Daniel as the guy who spent the night in the lion's den, uh, which is true, but before that happened, uh, Daniel was a part of this nation of Israel that was kicked out of their homeland, kicked out of the nation of Israel, and exiled to Babylon. And Babylon was uh, uh, this very secular nation, but Daniel was this brilliant, godly man, and he rose in influence and power in the nation of Babylon, so much so that he was uh, respected and listened to by the king, and his name was King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, what you need to know about King Nebuchadnezzar is that that joker was crazy. Right? He was one of the most unstable leaders that you see in the Old Testament. But yet, he knew there was something about Daniel that he wanted more of. He knew that Daniel's God was a God to be reckoned with. So much so that he did this for Daniel. And keep in mind, this is before the, the lion's den thing. He did this for Daniel. In chapter 2, it says this. It says, The king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts, and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. So, so he made Daniel kind of his vice president. And he did this for him. And chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Now this word wise men is the word that we're not even sure what it means. It's where we get our word magi from. And a lot of people think that's also where we get our word magician from and magic from. Because these men, these group of people, and, and by the way, we're not even sure they were all men. Just keep that in mind, because we don't know that much about them. We just know they were magi. But what they did is they studied star charts, and they, they studied the rhythms of the world and the rhythms of, this, of space, uh, and, and they made predictions about what was going to happen based on what had happened before. And, and Daniel was put in charge of these magi. And what we know is what Daniel knew, because Daniel grew up learning the Hebrew scriptures, and he grew up studying what we call the Old Testament. He just called it his Bible. Actually, he didn't have the term Bible then, but it was the Hebrew Scriptures. It was the law and the prophets. And he taught them these laws from God's word. He taught them what the prophets and God's word said about what God was going to do. And so he taught these magi that a Messiah was coming. He taught the Magi that the Savior was coming that was going to save the entire world from their sin and that this Messiah, that this Magi, wasn't just for the nation of Israel. It was for the whole, he was for the whole world because he wasn't just a ruler. He was going to be God. 
And, and he taught them this, to know that this king was in power. In Numbers chapter 24, it says this, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So he taught these magi that a star was coming. And he taught them to look and to look for this star. And he told them that this star would lead to a scepter. And a scepter is a symbol for a king. And so these, these magi knew as they, as they made these star charts and as they looked into the night sky, they knew that one day something would show up that wasn't on any of their charts. Something would show up that they've never seen before. And when that star showed up, it was the sign that a king was in rule in Israel. And, and he taught them that, and they learned that from generation to generation to generation. And then one night, they were looking up in the night sky, and they saw something that wasn't on any of their charts. And they saw a star that wasn't there before, and they knew what that star meant. They knew that that star would shine on this new king that's in power, on this Messiah, on this Savior. And so these magi packed up and headed out to go look for this one on whom this star was shining. And that's where we pick up in Matthew. In Matthew chapter two, verse one, it says this. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, here's what's interesting. Here's how we know that Daniel didn't teach them that this was a king that was just going to be in power, but a God to be worshipped. Because they don't travel from Babylon to Jerusalem to look for a king to make a political alliance with to make Babylon great. What they do is they look for a God to worship. And their desire is to look for the one whom, whom this star shines so that they can worship him, not make a political alliance with him. And so what they do is they show up to Jerusalem because that's the place that makes sense. Because Jerusalem is the economic hub, it's the spiritual hub, it is, it is uh, the political hub of the nation of Israel. And so if there's a new king in power, guess where he's going to be? In Jerusalem. So they show up there and they're walking the streets with their entourage saying, where is this king of the Jews? And nobody knows what in the world they're talking about. Nobody's heard of this king. Now, now um, Bethlehem is about six miles away from Jerusalem. So they're really close, but they're not yet there yet. But the problem is nobody has any idea what in the world they're talking about. And remember, we're looking through their eyes to see the wonder of the incarnation, and we're looking through their eyes to see how to let Christmas linger longer. And right now, I would imagine, as they're standing in those streets of Jerusalem, there is a little bit of confusion for them. I would imagine they've got some pretty big questions for the God that put this star up in the sky to show them this new king. Because nobody in this king's nation knows who he is. And what they see can't be found. You see, and here's one of the things that we can see that actually prevent us from letting Christmas linger longer, and it's this. It's confusion. You see, confusion can stop Christmas from lingering longer. Our fears, our doubts, our expectations that we put on God, our, 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 our assumptions that we put on God, 
And maybe you're like the Magi and you feel like you're standing right in God's space, like Jerusalem was God's space. They might have been in the shadow of the temple standing there that close to the power and presence of God and they're standing there confused because their assumptions are wrong, their expectations are wrong and maybe you're this way. And maybe you're, you're, you're in God's presence and yet you feel like your prayers are falling on deaf ears. And the things that you pray are the things that line up with God's word. They're the things that line up with God's will. And yet the answer is this. Just silence. And maybe you hear people talk about their close relationship with God. And you hear me talking about an all the time, everywhere relationship with God. And yet for you, he feels distant. And he feels a little bit unknown. Well, if this is you, take heart because you are not alone. There is hope because listen to this. Even though you may not know where God is, he always knows where you are, right? These magi were standing in the streets of Jerusalem going, God, where are you? God knows exactly where they are. Look at verse three. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. So, so here's what's happening. They're standing there in Jerusalem. Everybody that walks by, they're like, hey, where's this new king? Where's this new king? Do you know about this new king? And they're like, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Word gets to Herod, who is the king of that area. And all of a sudden, Herod freaks out a little bit. Because you know what a new king means? A new king means the old king's out of power. A new king means the systems that are put in place to keep that power in place are no longer good and no longer valid and no longer needed. When Herod hears that, he might be thinking there is a rebellion about to happen. Somebody's coming for this palace. And not only him, but all the people in the systems of power that make him look good and make him look great, they're just as scared that a new king is coming because a new king means what I rely on for my strength and what I rely on for my power, I no longer need. You see, this, this king in the land is bothered by this information. And here's what I love about this. If you're one of those who feel like God is silent and not listening to your prayers, and y'all, I've been there. You know, like I said, take heart. Because when these magi were getting no answer, what we're gonna see is that God was working to get them an answer. When they were standing in those streets and nobody knew what they were talking about, God was working behind the scenes to move things around to get the answer to them. And you may feel like God has forgotten you, but keep in mind, he is working for you. You just don't know it yet. Our God is a backstage God. And he loves to do a whole lot of work backstage before he steps into the spotlight. And maybe... You're standing on the stage and you're wondering what all that noise is in the background. That is God working for you, even when it feels like he's not. Look at verse four, because watch this. It says, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, so, so Herod pulled together the people who would know. It says, he inquired of them where, where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I'm not buying Herod's story of wanting to worship this new king, right? I don't know that the wise men really bought it either. I don't know that the magi thought that's really what he wanted to do. But what he did do, God used him to get these magi heading to where they needed to go. He began the process of moving them from Jerusalem to Bethlehem because he pulled together the people who knew and asked them, and they said, well, that's where he's supposed to be born. Send them there. But look at this in verse 9. I think this is Matthew's way of kind of giving um, uh, Herod a little, a little jab because he says, after listening to the king, so the magi heard the king, they went on their own way. They went on their way. Right, And so I think the Magi were pretty, uh, pretty in tune with the fact that Herod probably didn't want to worship this new king either. So although they heard from him where to go, it says that they went their own way. So they stepped out going, all right, that's what he said. Guys, what do y'all think? Magi, let's get together. What, what do we think? And then, and then God does something. Look at this. It says, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So here's what happens. God moves from backstage to the spotlight. And the star that they had been following all of a sudden shows back up. And this time the star, for somehow, isn't just in one place in the sky. They see the star move until it shines over the exact place where they need to go. And y'all, this is something that God delights to do is this. He delights to turn confusion into clarity. They stood there not knowing where God was, not knowing what God was doing. Then all of a sudden, God stepped into the spotlight and said, here, here's what I'm doing. But let me tell you their part, and this is the part that, that sits with me. This is the part that I hope that sits with you. You see, there's a lot of reasons in our confusion that we're tempted to let Christmas move on, our own doubt, our own insecurities, our own fear. And we just want to say, like, let's just put that behind us and let's put our heads down and let's just keep going. And, and, and here's the part, too. I'm, 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 I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Right, which anytime somebody says they're a bit of perfectionist, just hear we're a perfectionist, right? That's the way that works. Let me, let me give you a little secret about how our perfectionist is wired. Like we have pretty high expectations for those around us and we want them to do what we want them to do, right? We have even higher expectations for ourselves, and we may not let that out all the time, but we do, that's one of the secrets. But the biggest secret of a perfectionist is that we even have higher expectations of how God is supposed to perform. Not just me, not just those around me, but I have pretty high expectations of how God is supposed to perform. Which means if you're a perfectionist like me, oftentimes you live in a, in a, in a constant state of disappointment about the people around you. A pretty steady state of disappointment about yourself, but an ongoing disappointment with God. That's what perfectionists are plagued with. I think there's a little bit of a perfectionist in all of us. These magi had to do something that's so counterintuitive to a perfectionist, so counterintuitive maybe to you, it's so counterintuitive to me because what they had to do is they had to lay down their expectations of God. 
Because what we're going to see was probably a surprise to them and may even be a surprise to you. And the question that you have to ask as we go through this is, are you willing to receive God's answer for you? Are you willing to receive the answer that God has for you? Because I bet these magi were a little surprised by what that star was shining on. Because they didn't arrive to a manger. You're gonna see them arrive to a house. And they didn't arrive to a baby. You're gonna see them arrive to a toddler, to a preschooler. Look at this. Uh, In verse 11, it says, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. So there's two words that pop out. One is house. You know what that means? That means that little manger that he was born in, he's not there anymore. They have rented their own place. Joseph, Mary, and the baby Jesus have a nice little one-bedroom apartment, right? They've got their own place. It's a house. And the word that Matthew uses, he doesn't use the word baby. He uses the word child. This is a very specific term that means not a baby, that when they get there, Jesus is a toddler. He is a preschooler. And when they walk in, this, this toddler, this preschooler is in the arms of his mother, Jesus. Now, here's what's shocking. That may be the surprising part to you because we're used to seeing baby Jesus where? In the manger. That's why we say when you put the manger, leave the wise men in the kitchen because they're not there yet, Right? Right? That was the, that was, that's the surprise for us. Let me tell you what I think the surprise for them were, was. They traveled from Babylon to Jerusalem to worship a king. I would imagine they expected a palace and they expected a throne and they expected a grown man to be sitting on that throne. But yet when they got there, they got a one-bedroom apartment with a toddler. And look at their reaction to that. Because look at this, because here's what we need to see, that God's answer to you is God's answer for you, right? Because their reaction is going to lead to what they came to do the whole time. But we've got to ask ourselves, we've got to see these magi didn't get what they expected, they got what God planned. And, and, And I need us to ask ourselves are we ready to get what God has for us in 2019, not what we want for us? Are we ready for God to give you another word, another resolution, a whole nother set of goals than what you have planned for yourself? Are you ready to receive God's answer for you? Because God's answer to you is God's answer for you. Now I'll tell you, what I think God's gonna do with my 2019 scares me to death. Because it is hitting in the face of my insecurities and my lack of confidence, but I think that's what God's doing. And when I talk about receiving God's answer to you, being God's answer for you, like I am very fearfully opening my hand for that. And maybe you are too. Or maybe Jesus is one of those things that, that is God's answer to you, is God's answer for you, and it is something that you have never expected. Because maybe you think this whole Christian faith is about, is about you, right? It's about you being good enough or you not being bad enough. And that's how God likes you and loves you is because of that. Well, Jesus is God's answer for you and God's answer to you because he's already done that. Because of Jesus and your faith in Jesus God looks at you as if he does Jesus and he smiles all the time when he sees you. 
And maybe for you, this is your first answer to receive from God. It's about this Jesus and to say yes to him so that you can have this all the time, everywhere relationship with God that I talk about. But many of you in this room, you've already done that. You've already said yes to Jesus. But here's what I know happens in my heart, and I bet it happens in your heart too, is we still look for answers in all the wrong places. We let our fear and our confusion and our doubt feed the questions and answer the questions that are in our head instead of letting one answer be the answer, and that answer is Jesus. Because these magi showed up and didn't get what they expected, but they got exactly what God had planned. And for you, when you feel like there's no answer, even when you believe like God's not with you, take heart, because what we're seeing in this is this is that God is with you and God is working for you even if you don't know it, even if you can't feel it, even if you don't sense it, even if you don't believe it, God is working for you. And when you do receive what God has given, when you receive God's plan, look at what the response, excuse me, to that is in verse 11. It says, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him, right? They received what God had planned all along and their response was worship. And worship is always a response. When God reveals his truth or reveals his presence, it is always this act of worship. Now, it's interesting what I didn't tell you about this act of this, this word worship that Matthew uses. It's this great picture of a dog coming to their master is this word. Now, I don't know about y'all, but we in our house, It's me and my wife. I've got two teenage sons, a cat and a dog, right? When I come home, guess who cares? (laughs) Right? It is not, it is not the cat. He will see me and just look away, right? Because that's what cats do. It is not my teenage sons. They are either doing homework or most likely not doing homework, but on a device somewhere in the house, not even noticing if I walk in. It is not my wife. She has a home office downstairs, so a lot of times she's working when I get home or she's in the kitchen making dinner or whatever, and so she's focused and she's in the zone. But there is one in our house who always comes running when I get home, and that is our dog, Addie. And not only does she come running, her tail's wagging one way, her hind end is somehow wagging the other way, her head is going in all different kinds of directions, and when I walk in the door, she is excited with her whole body to see me. That's the picture that Matthew uses for worship. That's what these magi did when God revealed himself in a toddler in a one-bedroom apartment, is that they responded with unashamed worship. And that's what happens when we receive God's answer to us. And receiving God's answer for you is a way to let Christmas linger longer. Receiving that gift of Jesus is a way to let Christmas linger longer. Look at another way. Look, look at how that, well, look at what that worship turns into. It says, then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed and went to their own country by another way. 
So what these magi did is they gave gifts of gold, which is a symbol of royalty. They gave gifts of frankincense, which is an incense that was used in the temple as worship because they not only saw this, 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 this toddler as king, they also saw him as God. And then there's also this, this interesting thing where they gave him a gift of myrrh. And myrrh was a resin used to prepare a body for burial. A lot of people believe that what Daniel taught them was not only that this king would be the Messiah and the Savior, the the Messiah of the nation of Israel and the Savior for the world, but that this king would actually have to die for its kingdom to be initiated. And so they gave a gift to prepare this family for this king's burial. And they did all this as an act of worship. You see, their offering was this act of worship, and this is a picture of generosity. You see, when we receive the gifts that God gives us, when we receive Jesus and we receive the answers from God that that he has planned all along, not only does it turn into worship, it also turns into generosity. So not only is it a response between me and God, it's a response between me and you. And I give you my money, I give you my time, I give you my talents, I give you my treasures. And so the point here, too, is that our generosity is tied to our worship. When you write a check and put it in that box, if anybody still writes checks, I don't know, but when you go online and, 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 and fill out your tithe and donation, all that stuff, the point is, is that it's not a donation, it's actually an act of worship. It is a response to, to the gift that God has given you. It is a response to the truth that God has shown you. It is a response to God himself is why you worship and why you give. And so that a godly offering always starts with a godly encounter. And the, and the, and the, and the trick is you can't be generous if you don't worship. And you can't worship if you're not ready to receive what God has for you. If you're not ready to lay down your own expectations, your own assumptions, your own fear and your own doubt. And so to make Christmas longer, we have to do what these magi did. And we've got to encounter the one who gives us the answers that we are to receive. Because he makes Christmas linger longer when we encounter the one that Christmas was all about. And his name is Jesus. So let me ask you, what questions do you still have lingering from last year? Or last week, depending on how you want to look at it. What questions, what fears, what doubts, what anxieties are still there? Well, maybe today can be the day where I invite you to trust him with those questions. Today can be the day that I invite you to trust Jesus with your own eternal salvation. Let that be the first question you answer. And I invite you to to trust him with your doubt, with your fear, with your insecurities. And I invite you to receive what God has for you. This is why we do communion. And it's a great picture today for you as you come to the table to leave at this table any doubts or fears or anxieties you have and to pick up the juice and to pick up the cracker And to pick up Jesus and take him back to your seat with you. And then I'll lead us in prayer and we will will take that juice and that cracker together as a symbol of what we're doing. That we're embracing all of who Jesus is.